I think we're good. Yeah, it looks like it. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> Whew, okay. Can everybody in the live chat hear us? <laughs> we get it? We're good? Yes, no echo. Okay, I think we fucking did it. Holy shit. <laughs> oh, I cannot tell you. I'm behind the scenes and I'm looking at this thing and I'm not I'm like not familiar with everything and I'm like, oh, I'm freaking out. Haha, ha, Chris Durham, you're very, very funny. And I'm fucking freaking out because I'm like, what the shit? I don't know. I don't know what I'm fucking doing. And I'm panicking because I can hear all them and they can't hear me. And so <laughs> 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 Oh, so fucked up. Oh, that was oh, I was losing my damn mind. I really, really was. Oh, well, fuck it, man. Let's get started. Welcome back, horror fans. It's Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time, and that means it's another episode of the Week in Horror podcast, the only podcast where we all go a little mad sometimes. We are coming to you live from our YouTube channel, so for all of you podcast listeners who are going to be listening to this come Sunday, be sure to check us out so you too can be a part of our live audience. This week, we are covering select horror films released in horror history, March 21st through March 27th. Thank you all so much for joining us. I am JL, and with me today are Alex, and freshly back from Secret Film Endeavors, Eugene. What's up, everybody? Hey, what's up, everybody? God, we, missed you. we missed you, Eugene. We did miss you, Eugene. I know. I popped in for a little bit just to see how y'all were doing. And that's when I saw like the new background. I was like, oh, y'all got the movies? I'm gone for one week. Y'all got super fancy and everything? <laughs> Yes, I love the uh, – we have to thank Kevin Paul. Kevin Paul is the one who came up with the idea of having the movie posters up on the screen. And he actually cut the background for us and laid it out. It was really, really badass. He was like, here – because he was like, hey, I got something I want to show you. He did this without being asked. He was like, hey, I've been working on something. And he was like, I want to show it to you. I was like, okay, cool. Let me see it. And then he dropped this in Discord. I was like, holy shit. This is amazing. <laughs> I'll take two, please. Oh, <laughs> uh, and I want to give a huge giant shout out to uh, Johnny O for he is currently on the road, snowing where he's driving, and he took the uh, the moment to uh, call me, or he's just like, call me. I've got I've got your solution. So I called him up, and he helped walk me through this, so I didn't panic and like just run, you know, run out of the uh, the fucking house. Just yeah, I was fucking freaking out, man. I was so I was so I was so freaking scared. I'm like, we're fucking twenty minutes over. God damn it! People are gonna think Team Skeptic is running this shit. Oh, damn. oh damn. yeah, yes, Kevin is awesome. Oh man, so let's take a look before we uh, get started. Uh, let's take a look at who is in the chat. Basic trigonometry. So good to see you. Uh, one of our amazing patrons. Love you, dude. Dark Steve. Love you too, man. Good to see you. Grave Paradise, who I have been chatting with um, in the uh, the Discord community. Uh, Grave's mother recently underwent uh, some pretty major surgery, and she is currently recuperating well. So she she pulled through, and Grave is joining us as her mom recuperates. We wish her mom all the best. So in a speedy recovery. So good to see you here. Let's see yeah, who else we got. Ricky Bell is in the house. And 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 another one of our illustrious patrons who helps to make this show possible. Love you guys. And the plot hole lurking from the road. Be safe going into Colorado, man. NANA, good to see you. And the George said, you guys are freaking awesome. So glad you hung around while I was sorting out my shit. 
And who else we got? Chris Durham Music Channel. And he says, I'm in Connecticut. At my age, I'm severely haunted. <laughs> uh, no ghosts here. No ghosts here yet. Who else is in the house? Ah, PhD Tony. Hello. Good to see you. Thank you, sir. One of the fellow beardsmen. And, and another one of our amazing patrons. And I think, because it's a little bit early. We're a little bit early. So other people will jump in. Charlie Welch, the man you never make a bet with. There's the man himself. So good to see you. Eugene, what the fuck are you doing in the chat? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh. And there's Jessica G, our stream queen, when she gets her, her internet back up and solid. Um, can't wait to see what she brings to uh, the theater. And she says, what up, losers? Yes, well, not the stream for about 20 minutes there. Yeah, she's already throwing shade. Did he also drop Alex's camera? Is that why it's recording with the blur set to ultra? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, we look clear. Okay, from the monitor here, we look clear as fuck. So I think we're in good shape. I mean, I definitely look a lot better in OBS than on the actual stream, but that's just because, you know. Well, you, look, you, you always look amazing. Oh, thank you. I mean, you're not. You're, actually, you, you don't. You don't. You don't leave. You don't leave the horror. You don't leave the horror girls. You know, thirsty like Eugene does. But yeah, dude, I could never. I could never match Eugene. So. <laughs> I was like, somebody has to be the sex symbol, though. I'm the only single one. I actually, I've got a job interview tomorrow um, for a uh, facilities coordinator position, and I'm gonna have to shave the beard and cut the hair. Oh, damn! So. We're not going to recognize you anymore. I know. It's, I'm going to look totally different. Who's this motherfucker? Who's this guy? <laughs> oh, well, uh, Jessica G, so great to have you. Thank you so much for coming. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be a normal show without you. What is PhD? No, it's kind of weird, J.O. <laughs> Jessica G and Eugene both disappeared from last week's stream. This is true. What were they doing? Hmm. She knew I wouldn't be on, so she was just like, eh. Just one. <laughs> Jessica G is going to steal Eugene away from us. What did PhD Tony say here? No, we wouldn't have made that mistake. Team Skeptic started on time today, but I thought I will skip this to go watch Weekend Horror, and I was richly rewarded for that decision. Tony, I'm doing my fucking best, man. I'm doing my best. I'm baby stepping. I'm doing the work. I'm not a slacker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a little what about Bob there for you uh, Peace Tony says Jesus you mean Alex's camera is not broken wow it would have been a lot less harsh if I had known <laughs> is it really that bad it looks good on my computer hang on see it's not that bad I'm watching the stream it looks fine to me yeah I also live a life of complete delusion so let me see this stuff I just <laughs> pulled up the stream on my phone and Alex you look fine oh thank you I mm. do you. <laughs> I'm gonna let myself out. I'd, I'd even stay for breakfast. <laughs> I hope you're cooking. Oh, uh, uh. Green Paradise says it's not good. I'm looking at you. Look, I'm looking at you clean. Like here on the uh, all, but all three of you look good. Oh, all three of you? No, there's there's only two. All three of us look good. We all look good. That's on my phone. I don't yeah, know. I'm like everybody looks fine on mine. I don't know. <laughs> basic trigonometry I'll get my coat you look okay if 720p is the new 140p <laughs> oh, Jesus. well at least it's not me this time because they gave me shit for becoming in like 180 BC 
<laughs> oh, last time we were the last time we were doing we were doing this. My camera was apparently shit. I got my new one megapixel camera. <laughs> oh, it records Je- two frames per second. Jessica G says you shaving is unacceptable, highly unacceptable. Alex, you will not be cutting the hair or the beard. Oh no, I'm really I don't know. I, see, I don't know professionally. I don't know if I could do anything with my hair to make it look like you know we should hire this guy. It shouldn't be. I don't really see why there'd be a problem. There shouldn't be a, uh, be a problem with fucking hair. Like, PhD Tony says, okay, well, if I have to explain the joke is, Alex is butt ugly and looks out of focus to all three of you. How do you claim to be entertainers? <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. Let me, I'll clue you into a little inside information. PhD Tony hangs out with Jessica G like a lot. Okay. Like way too much. And he she is rubbing off on him. And he's picking up all her snark and just internet cruelty. <laughs> and he is, and, and so, I mean, I can tell you from the time we met PhD Tony to now, that that the edge on his snark has has been honed <laughs> to a formidable, you know, weapon. And he and he's indiscriminate with how he uses that shit. Here, here, does this help, PhD? But oh, I broke it. Sorry, I can't cover it up. <laughs> yes, yes, Dark Steve. Uh, PSG Tony does deliver brutalities. Fucking crazy. Grand Paradise, don't wear a hat. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. Man, oh man. The only uh, reason I wear it every week is because Jessica G yelled at me when I didn't. So, <laughs> And you don't want to get yelled at by Jessica G. That's oh, she's scary. Well, I do hope everyone in the chat, thank you all so much for joining us. I do hope everyone is doing well. Um, looks like the plot hole is about to lose service. He's going into Clayton, New Mexico. So what my, the fuck? Did he lose a bet? No, he's going. He's driving up to Colorado. Oh, okay. Yeah. And they says, but they just had like 52 inches of snow. Oh, yeah. He said it was snowing up there. And they says, what? Yeah, Jessica G is a saint. Saint something. He <laughs> <laughs> spelled Satan wrong. No, I'm just kidding. He spelled Satan wrong. <laughs> That's not how you spell Satan. And basic trigonometry says it's okay. Jess and I will tear him down on Saturday night. You do that. You do that. Basic trigonometry, sexiest name on the internet. You tear that motherfucker down. And Peachy Tony says another astonishing display of weak and horror technical competence. Alex, well done. <laughs> I see now. I don't know if that's a fucking diss or what. No, Damn, man. I'm fucking lost, just Peachy Tony. Peachy Tony is yeah. relentless. You know, and I, I don't even know. Him. I don't even know if it's PSG Tony anymore. I think it's Jessica G on, on both accounts. Probably is. I think it's. I think it's her controlling both. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you know what? There was only hey, um, Charlie Welch. Good luck. Good luck on that. That's that's. Oh. If you're having issues with it, seriously, uh, your life will be changed for the better afterwards. Dang, gallbladder remover, dude. Charlie Welch, all the best, man. Hope yeah. you. Uh, yeah, definitely. Luckily, they've gotten really good at the non-invasive way to take those out. So, Well, basic trigonometry way. posits that I think Tony's increase in snark comes from a lack of lotion in the bowl. Jesus. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, I see what... Oh, I see what Charlie Welch said right there because we, he was like NAA was like Jessica G is a saint. And Charlie Welch was like Saints Row, Saints maybe. Row. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> listen, listen, when we do our first like out in the world live show, y'all better be fucking front row, giving us the same shit you're giving us over the live chat. Yeah, definitely. 
<laughs> All right. Well, um, there's not much going on. I mean, there was uh, not much, you know, not many big things going on in the realm of horror as of late. Um, so we didn't really have much, you know, to talk about in this uh, in this past week. But uh, but that's okay. We started a little bit later than usual. So fuck it, Alex. Um, you got our first movie, right? So why don't you kick this oh, bitch? Shit, that's right. We're doing why, a podcast. Why don't you kick this bitch off? What do we have up first? <laughs> All right, we're going to talk about one of my particular favorite go-to movies, um, Shudder. Shudder came out uh, March 21st, 2008, and I'm going to butcher the fuck out of this director's name real quick. Uh, Masayuki Ochai. Close enough. Close enough. (laughs) (laughs) Written by by Luke Dawson, starring uh, Joshua Jackson, Rachel Taylor, uh, Megumi Okina, David Denman, John Hesley, Maya Hazen. Um, this movie was super creepy, even back in 2008. I remember watching this. This was a uh, it was about a newlywed couple going on a honeymoon, and they decided to make it like a working honeymoon. Um, and they're taking they're they're driving. They end up hitting a woman, and they can't find her body. And things start to get weird. Things start showing up in pictures that uh, that they're taking, and uh, and the ending was excellent. It really was. It had a it had a good creepiness to it. I've always been a fan of kind of like horrors. Um, I do love a good jump scare. <laughs> it, and the thing is, is like I, I did. I really enjoyed it. It had a nice kind of creep factor to it. Um, There's something about photographs, and I like to go searching for like oh haunted photographs or ghosts and photographs. And I'm pretty sure they chair it up. And whether you believe in ghosts or not, some of the pictures are really pretty creepy but this is actually a remake of a 2004 film under the same name shutter which was also creepy which is also just (laughs) as creepy and it kind of came in on the tail end of the j-horror of the j-horror remakes because you started getting with the ring and the grudge uh, based off of like the Japanese film, and all of a sudden they like popped up and like exploded, and so now it's J War constantly, J War constantly, and as quickly as the trend went up, it just began to backslide like right back down. It went up, we got it was almost like the market was saturated, and then it ended up dropping off. But one of the things that we were talking about, we're getting ready for the podcast is. When it comes to films, a lot of times studio producers, they get pitches all the time. And what they do is they'll actually keep pitches of upcoming genres to, just to see if something pops off. So this was something that somebody probably pitched to the studio a couple of years earlier. And they're like, eh, we'll call you. We don't really know. And then all of a sudden the ring and the grudge go off and they're like, the executives are like, okay, well, uh, producers, what do you got? Oh, well, this guy came in last year and pitched this thing called Shutter. That's also a remake. Cool, green light it. Yeah, I think that this one was based off. I think this one was based off a Thai film because um, once the major Japanese uh, franchises had been tapped, um, that they started looking pretty much at pretty much all you know, uh, pretty much are all around Asia, Indonesia, yeah, like India, movie. Thailand. Um, especially Korean films, uh, uh, Korean films as well, and um, I think this one was originally called Shutter Press to Capture Ghosts. Was <laughs> it was the actual <laughs> name of the Thai film, and so they you know, they definitely brought it over, adapted it, and you're right, Eugene, it was, was coming on on the back, on kind of like the backside of of uh, the 
Asian, I guess, Asian horror adaptation trend. It, it, it spiked really quick. I think because meta horror came right before this, so meta horror was running and just had a good, a good little run. And it just kind of, you know, it it, it was kind of waves. This one, it just jumped with the we have with the sex with the success of the Grudge. When that sucker hit, it was like everybody wanted to jump on that ship. And so then we got the Ring, and then we got Dark Water, and then uh, so and there, God, there's so many. And this one, I think, yeah, was on the back end. I think. Um, I like there were moments in the film I really dug, but it, I don't think this one held up as much as as much as like the earlier entries. Obviously, the Grudge, the Ring are the are the the kind of juggernauts of the Asian horror remake tr- uh, trend. I th- it felt very forced. Personally, like like we got to do this quick, so let's grab some actors, and so we'll grab Dawson Dawson Creek's Joshua Jackson. We'll grab uh, Rachel Taylor. Um, I don't even know what she was in at the time. I mean, as she, as she's in the Marvel, she's yeah. in the Marvel universe now. She's in, uh, she yeah. was on Jessica Jones, but uh, she was, I think she was basically just doing TV and, and TV movies. So we'll grab them, just grab some actors real quick, throw them in there, and then boom. The cinematography was decent. The, uh, the crew behind it, I thought, captured some elements. There were a couple of good jump scares in there, but overall, you could feel like you were on the back end of the slide. It's like, it, it's, yeah, this is the direction we're going, and pretty soon it's just going to be, the obscure one that we can just grab and remake for quick pennies just to try and, you know, recoup some budget. Right. And I mean, like when you get to stuff like, how do you, how do you even compete with stuff like the ring or the grudge? <laughs> yeah. Typically the ones that get there first are the ones that knock it out of the park. Just go. You know, Cause there's more, there's plenty. They've had plenty of time to plan. So you know, if you can say, we're going to adapt the grudge or, you know, Juwan, we're going to adapt Juwan or we're going to adapt Ringu. It's kind of like, hmm, what do we do? So let's line up a solid director. Let's really, so we're, because we want to see if we can turn it into a franchise because America's all about fucking franchises. So we want to see yeah. if we can turn this into something that really, really lasts. So can we do the, yeah, let's do the grudge. Making sure we have a solid director, a solid lead actress. Make sure we really, really capture the elements of the Japanese film that really terrify people. So make sure that the kid is in there, the kid making cat sounds. Make sure the chick with a broken neck is in there. You know, really, really capture these moments. And you see, if you put line the two up, there's differences, but there's they. I mean, they pretty much captured a lot of almost shot for shot stuff from the original Juon. And then that's what sells. That's what was was great. And then yeah, with the kind of American, I would say, gloss on it. There's kind of an American gloss to it. I've, I've I've never found another term for that. Eugene, is there a term for that? Uh, I don't know official term, but usually it's higher production value. Yeah. But okay. The there you, you go. Yeah. Because when you're when you're losing Eugene. Oh man, I hope we didn't lose Eugene. <laughs> like I like to compare it to like say bullet time, bullet time, in the Matrix, where the first time you see the Matrix, it's like, oh man, impressive do that but then stuff people started copying bullet time like in swordfish and so yeah and it's kind of like okay that's cool that's it's well done all right but you're not going to get that awe factor yeah definitely yeah i think i think the people I think noticing, <laughs> yeah you're, you're i think you're you're in it's kind of like uh do i want to do it or not but we'll keep going let's see um <laughs> Let's see here. Oh, Kevin Paul has joined us. Thank you, sir, and thank you very much for this beautiful uh, layout that we have here on the screen. Now you are the man who uh, who brought us that. So thank you so much. Um, uh, Dark Steve was saying the Ring and the Grudge didn't age well, though they were brilliant, but just not watchable for me these days. And it's true, they really didn't. I mean, because it was like he was saying with the Matrix. You know, when you see Bullet Time for the first time, you're like, holy shit! And now, yeah, what was that? 1999. Now it's 2021. <laughs> Bullet Time's kind of like. By the time it hits a scary, it's scary movie. 
you know, or uh, I think what was it? Was it a? Or no, I think it was used in in like Kung Pao Enter the Fist when the cow was shooting milk out out of you know, <laughs> yeah, its udders, yeah. you know, and bowl. And it was like, okay, now it's pretty much run the gamut. Yeah, they, it's, uh, it's, they use yeah, it in yeah. a lot of spoofs now. So it, I but mean, it was groundbreaking at the time. That's the thing. Yeah, was, yeah. At the time, okay, I can yeah. tell you at the time when I saw the when I saw the Grudge in theaters, it scared the fucking shit out of me. And that was <laughs> another big thing is I think that this had a very very limited release, and then went straight to. Um, VHS <laughs> and then went straight to DVD. I mean, let's see, released the uh, July. What was July fifteenth? And there was an unrated edition, which really didn't add didn't add much at all. To be perfectly honest, it was it, it was a the film was I mean the film was the film was serviceable. It was enjoyable. You could sit down and, and you know, waste a couple of hours watching this one if you really really dig you know, Asian re, Asian horror remakes or adaptations, and it'll work. I mean, it'll get to there, but. It just you could feel it was kind of like the energy was running out of the uh, out of the train on this one, and then everything that came after is is virtually almost forgettable. So, and it, that brought to mind while I was while I was rewatching this movie, is I started I started and I wanted to get your guys' opinion on it. Maybe maybe the, the opinion of the people in the live chat. There seems to be a kind of sad necessity for foreign remakes. Because it's not just horror films yeah, that, that we see this in. It's virtually every single genre will get remakes of something. Like, you know, pretty – I mean, there's been drama, action, whatever. Well, you know, it'll be a lesser-known, you know, kind of like obscure foreign film and then get remade for us, remade for American audiences. Throw in some solid-named actors in there, give it a solid director, and then boom, you're off and running. Um but this was kind of a bummer, and it happens more in horror than it really happens anywhere else because horror films are these, you know, people turn out horror films all the time. So why not adapt them for American audiences? But it really is a dearth of unoriginal idea of just, you know, of no original ideas in Hollywood, you know, or whatever studios are making these films that they're constantly yanking from everybody else. So everybody else is doing it. All these other, you know, foreign, uh, even Russia. I've seen some Russian horror films that that have come over that were adapted that the American ones suck, but the Russian ones were amazing. And <laughs> it's, it, I mean, it'd be like this. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a Babadook remake. I, it so? wouldn't surprise me either. It, it really wouldn't. And it's because for some reason, most Americans don't like to watch foreign films. First of all, good point. Then, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. I mean, unless you're like a cinephile. You're not going to go, especially uh, films that are in different languages. People really just don't look for them. They don't get shown in theaters unless it's some indie theater. Uh, I think we we have maybe two or three in Dallas total that'll show like real like foreign films and indie film. But you're not AMC is not going to play them. People aren't looking for them. So producers are like. Well, you get this film that's successful that is overseas. I guarantee almost most Americans have never even heard of it. So just copy it and just do it here. It's already – it's proven. Even yeah. if it's half as good, it will make its budget back. Oh, Dark Sea brought up the Dragon Ball live action <laughs> live action film. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and it, it really, really – it really bummed me out when I was uh, – uh, Jesse, you said that's why they remade Wreck and called it Quarantine. And Wreck is superior and still can be perfectly watched with the subtitles. Wreck is amazing. Wreck 1, 2, 3, 4, all four of them were brilliant. Quarantine? Eh. And then, and then Quarantine 2 was just completely, <laughs> absolutely forgettable. It was like, why am I – I mean, why am I watching this? 
Did you halfway through two and you're like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, the fucking thing had no soul whatsoever. So and and it just and watching this just kind of brought it the just kind of brought it the emotion that are there any original ideas coming out of fucking Hollywood? I mean, the some of the best horror films I've seen lately have come from indie directors with no studio involvement who are making their own shit. But you know, studio pictures. I mean, is it is it me? Is it fucking laziness? It's the it's the guarantee. There, there are original films that come out all the time. You just never hear of them because they're not going to right now be in tight budget. They're not going to spend ten million dollars, twenty million dollars on an unproven idea. Uh, they're just true. they're not. So, but some will somebody spend say five five what five what thousand. Yeah, <laughs> five hundred thousand, and your film makes one million in theaters. You made a profit. You just made five hundred thousand dollars, and you're a success. Versus ten million, where now the film has to make twenty million to yeah. come back. Yeah, yeah, it's wild. I mean, it just kind of bummed me out. It seemed to be the uh, the direction is kind of like, and I don't like. I don't. I think it waters down the horror genre. I don't dig it at all. Um, I think American audiences should. Ivy, Ivy Gentry is right. Bring back existential dread. Um, I think American audiences are worth more than that. Now, you know, what can I say? Studios are a business. They, they're there to make money. You know, yeah. movies make money. That's what they're there to do. If they, don't make, if they don't make any money, there won't be any fucking movies out of that movie house. So there's got to be a budgetary thing. Oh, you know, I hate it. As a director myself, I hate worrying about budgetary shit. Um, because why I'm not a producer, I don't fucking worry about money. Either I can shoot it or I can't shoot it. Uh, and I know I've worked with Eugene. Eugene's the same way. It's like you know, it's like it's not in the budget. Fuck you, it is in the budget. Find it, do, do something. <laughs> I'm gonna it in the it in the <laughs> and I I understand that money. Yeah, just uh, Jessica G's right. Remakes won't die until people stop going to see them. This is true. Like uh, because uh, because occasionally you get solid ones. You know, especially when you get remakes of American titles, like the remake of Dawn of the Dead, the remake of The Crazies. Um, there's been so many good ones, especially, you know, in the horror genre. They've been fantastic. There's been some shitty ones. Someone brought it up there. Grey Paradise brought up The Turning was absolutely abominable, which is crazy <laughs> because that, that's such an easy, it's such a, a great story. The Innocence, done back in the night, it was 1961. That was amazing. Because, you know, adaptation of Turning of the Screw. But, you know, apparently now, I, I don't know why they, they couldn't adapt that. But either way, it felt very... I had its moments, but it felt very forced and it felt very... Gen- oh, God, dare I say generic? Yeah, it, and see, this is why I think Blumhouse has been killing it. Is because these studios want to make the big picture. We want to make the fifty and hundred million dollar. We want to be compete with other blockbusters. Or Blumhouse is like, well, instead of making one film for a hundred million dollars, let's make ten films for ten million dollars. Because they know if two of them go off, only two, they'll make they'll make back all the money for all ten films. So it allows them to be more risky. And you, you'll see film. You take a film like, say, Happy Death Day. No big studio is going to greenlit Happy Death Day. Oh no, it's no, just no. not. Yeah. It's just not. And that was a great, great film. I love that. Film. Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, Groundhog's Day. Groundhog's Day meets a slasher movie. That's amazing. I mean, the, <laughs> the, I, and I mean, sweet. I know. Obviously, no one had thought of it before. 
because it's the first time I'd ever seen something like that. And then, of course, Freaky Friday meets a slasher movie, which was also amazing because I, I watched Freaky recently and it was fucking great. See, exactly. And I, I feel like that's the way to go. You're not going to compete with Disney. Let Disney do its own thing. Yeah. But more films, smaller budget, and then two, three of them go off. All of a sudden, they make $200 million. You made money. You made up the cost. That's the way to go nowadays. Yeah. Oh, look at you joining us. Crafty Keela. So good to see you, hunt, And a happy Patty's Day to you as well. Uh, it is St. Patrick's Day. Day. Unfortunately, I I, I was at work. I couldn't go to the bar. I really, I mean, I love going to St. Pat, going to St. Patty's. I love just hanging out in the bar. Um, there's a, there's a wonderful Patrick, uh, a wonderful Irish pub that's in downtown Plano. Um, I love going there. Uh, unfortunately they're not open and you know, I was at work all day. So, and of course, you know, hopefully next year, 2022, hopefully I'll, I'll be able to smash it on and uh, get my party on. Uh, I really miss it. But uh, happy Patty's Day. Uh, Crafty Keyless says happy Patty's Day. Um, I have work in the morning so early n- or so early night needed. Wanted to pop in and say hello. Well, thank you, Crafty Keyless. Appreciate you stopping by. Another yes. one of our amazing patrons. We love you so much. And I think I saw someone else. Um, Shane Summer. Shane Summer, good to see you. Thank you for stopping in. Man, I've got so many fucking amazing people in this chat. Look at all these Gorgeous motherfucker. Look at all these beautiful people. <laughs> I fucking love whenever I see the chat just lighting up like that. I fucking love it. I love these people. They're every single one of them have been so supportive of us. And we couldn't do the show without every single one of them. So fucking A. Uh I'm bouncing around. Okay, uh, here's another thing that I'm running into. Just uh just a heads up. It may seem like I delay every moment there, but I, I currently only have one monitor. So I literally have this oh, one monitor right here. First I know I it, it's annoying. So I'm I'm having to jump from from app to app. So I'm jumping from uh, literally. So I've got OBS here, and then I got Discord <laughs> over here, and and then I got me. You know, I got the fucking stream on my phone, and I've got uh, the studio. I was just I'm all over the place. So I just want to make sure I try to stay on point. But um, you're doing great, bud. Despite the fact that this one was kind of a sad one, it did make me it did or did make me appreciate my you know the ones that I loved. So, in which because I quickly went back and rewatched the original Grudge, because I'm a huge Sarah Michelle fan. Anybody who knows me knows that you know I'm like in love with her. So, <laughs> I am. It's, it's yes, I know. Ever since but uh, ever since Buffy. So, nonetheless, but um, it did make me appreciate the ones that that a lot of love went into. There's still that moment in the Grudge when the when the captain or the detective is is watching the security monitors. It's like he's trying to trace the you know trace her movements and like so uh. she runs down the hallway. And then all of a sudden, uh, Kayaku starts like you know, doing the stutter walk, you know, down there, and the you know, the screen's kind of flickering and shit. And she walks in, and the, the detective's like, "Holy shit, what the, you know, what is that?" And then, then she then she leaves the frame, and everything goes back to normal. And then all of a sudden, it starts you know, starts going staticky again, and then it's just like this black wave starts coming up over the screen, and the eyes come up out of it. Like that shit freaked me the fuck out. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like. I don't like it at all. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> oh yeah, it was fucking. The, no, the, grudge, the grudge was good. The grudge will always be good. And the ring is still creepy as fuck. You know what? It was good, and I was super into it. And it was one of those things I should not have seen the second one because that kind of ruined it for me. But uh, I mean, still, still good. You have to admit. I, you, I you have to admit that that the the actually seeing the tape. 
you know, they, they like all the images and shit. That that was creepy. That shit was yeah, creepy I mean, as that, fuck. That was good. You want to know one of my favorites? <laughs> it's a it's fucking. Probably... The ladder is falling. Why is it falling? <laughs> I don't get it. Why is it? Why is it scary? <laughs> it just fucked everything up for everybody for a long time. One of my favorites, though, um, that's probably an unpopular opinion, was uh, one missed call. One miss. Oh, there's another one. Thank you. Uh, I definitely like that one. Really? I did. I don't know why. It wasn't even like a good movie. I think I just liked the concept and I liked um, the acting in it was pretty okay. You know, I have a similar one. Pulse. Okay, yeah. Pulse. Okay. I like Pulse. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, before, and before Jessica G says anything, it's not because Kristen Bell was in it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it was not because Kristen Bell was in it. It was the first time we heard her say the F word on screen. Ever, I think. Yeah, uh, so yeah, no, I think I think she said a couple times of forgetting Sarah Marshall. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. You're but right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I I really liked it, and it was the um... no, because she had to do forgetting Sarah Marshall after Pulse because they reference it in the movie. That's right, they do. Yeah, yeah. So and Pulse was the first time that she ever said the f word on screen. I was kind of like, holy shit, Kristen Bell said the f word. Wow. Oh my, oh my um, god. So, oh, Jesse G says, I showed Pulse in your fucking Discord. He tweeted, well, I wasn't on for that one, was I? <laughs> uh, but that brings me to a question for the audience. We're talking about these remakes, uh, Asian remakes in particular. Uh, what are y'all's favorites? There's there's a few of them out there. Some of the big ones we've talked about, The Ring, The Grudge. Uh, one that I recently went back and watched because I watched the uh, – the documentary on Netflix about that girl that disappeared at the Cecil Hotel. Oh yeah, oh, um, the, they referenced on Elisa, Dark, Elisa Lamb. Yeah, yeah, they referenced uh, Dark Water. How that what happened to her very closely followed the movie Dark Water, which was uh, unbelievably uncanny. Like the it was like almost shot for shot what what went down. Um, so if you haven't seen the, I can't remember. It's like it's I think it's called the Cecil or something at the I think Cecil. It's the Cecil or, Hotel. Whatever the documentary yeah, was. Yeah, like, uh, uh, Angela and I just recently watched it. It's yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, look at it, they they kind of plug up the you know the, the this you know uh, Richard Ramirez stayed there and creepy, so you know, unexplainable. They're they're explainable. It's just it's a really scary. I mean, it's a really creepy place. We have a rundown hotel you know, on Skid Row. Of course, a lot of bad shit is going to happen there. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely. People no, people but, basically drank her. Like, oh yeah for for days and that was yeah. i mean i think getting the accounts of the people that were like the guests that were staying in the hotel that had to deal with the aftermath of that was like that had to have been horrible like you have to live with that for the rest of your life oh that's anyways, so it's so fucking gross they uh they oh. reference the movie dark water and they start showing how that movie correlates exactly with like the the events that happened to elisa lamb which was super creepy so i went back and watched that one again it was pretty good yeah um the eye we talked about um shutter uh one missed call the uninvited was another one that was pretty good that came out mm-hmm. oh i forgot about the uninvited yeah yeah so well, my, my favorite is always gonna be the grudge because you know smg and uh, not to mention I, I watched it in theaters and i was fucking scared <laughs> I was I, that was a fucking scary ass movie when I first saw it. You know, you know, and and the and it was one of those ones, one of those mo. It was one of those horror films you go to watch in theaters. Usually, you know, you you're in the theater, not not much is really quiet. This theater was stock fucking quiet. We're talking like I was the only one there. Everyone was just like, 
this is so like like you you know, I mean you can hear a pin drop. People were so you know twisted up by this thing. You know when that little kid, oh, ah, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> it was, and so and 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 and, and, a, and a, I think the one thing that made it great was there were so few jump scares in that film. It didn't. It, it was. Re- it really didn't need them. Because the thing is, like, it was first of all it was the overall t- cinematography. Fucking lighting is amazing in that film, mm-hmm. and the thing is, it, it doesn't need it. It doesn't have to have a, a bunch of jump scares to remind you that this film you're watching is scary. Just the tone in of itself, seriously. Like, like when you watch the ring, because the ring is my favorite, and mm-hmm. just the whole well video, and you see the shot of the well, and when she's crawling out, it's. Yeah, she jumps out towards the end when she gets out of the TV and all sorts of kind of stuff. But just that video as a whole, like you said, the ladder falling. Yeah. Why is the ladder falling creepy? <laughs> Why is it just the well creepy? It's a mirror on a wall. <laughs> That's it, the thing with the grudge. Um, the old one, not the newest one, Grave. Um, <laughs> was oh, the, the, the stairs scene. The, the way that when the Oh god, going down the stairs, I'll twist it up. Oh, and shit. oh up. yeah, that it, it still fucks with me. That Ugh. just that shot alone, and they've used it in, in other things, and it just does not play the same way that it did in the garage. Well, let's see, we got Crafty Keyless says Red Dragon was better than Manhunter. Just saying, interesting, interesting take. But I, I did like Red Dragon. I thought Ralph Fiennes was. I, I thought I, I, I thought uh, Fiennes was amazing in that as Dollar Hyde. Uh, yes, Great Paradise. There is a Grudge remake, a, another Grudge remake. A re, um, has you know Lin Shay is in it, which is awesome. But it was not so great of a movie. It was. <laughs> it was in fact, I'm just going to go out and say it, it was pretty fucking shit. Um. Jessica G says it's not an Asian horror remake, but a remake nonetheless. Uh, she loved Silent House. Very cool, very nice. PhD Tony okay. says The Ring as well, so he agrees with you, Eugene. What's up, Tina Jones? Tina Jones in the house. Good to see you. What's up? Eugene? Eugene, you went into a million different molecules in a million different places. There, that was pretty cool for a second. <laughs> when we when we were te- when we were testing out the technology last night, we were testing out OBS, and like it would go like that, and then when he waved his hand across it, it would actually clear it up, so he could actually clean the screen. <laughs> yeah, I was like, hold on, let me let me get that real quick. <laughs> Na Na says nothing scares me. I feel like I'm missing out on so much. No, Na Na, I am on a fucking mission. You've yeah, been you say. you've been coming to our movies in the Discord channel. I am on a mission to find one. That you will enjoy a slasher film that you'll that you'll really love, or a film that will scare the fuck out of you. I I know there's one out there, or at least it will have a scene in it that scares you. So I don't think you're I don't think you're that far gone yet. <laughs> there's still a, there's still a couple out there. There's like there are a couple of good form ones out there. It was like uh, Cario that had a really creepy scene with the woman running from under the staircase. Ah, oh, okay. because because you have the main character turns and he sees like a woman start running towards him but she is like it's not synced up right so she's kind of running but she's moving slower than her like feet would be moving and she's like moving out of it's just creepy it's creepy it's a a good film it's like Cario good night Crafty Keela Thank you for stopping okay. by. Hey, hey, hey. 
Oh, Sarcasm. Sarcasm says he recently saw hosts. That actually scared me. Sir, oh, and, and welcome, Sarcasm. Good to see you in the chat. Sarcasm, let me know. Was that the host that recent that released last year, directed by um, Adam Leader and Richard Oakes? Let us know, because we actually brought them on the show, and we talked to them. So I'm hoping it's the same one uh, that, we, that we saw, uh, that we actually showed that in the um, in our Discord theater. Great Paradise uh, says, May the Devil Take You, also a, uh, also a great film. Fuck. I, okay. Uh, uh, NANA, have you seen It Chapter 2? There was one thing, because I, you know, we watch so many freaking horror movies that it's like we're kind of unfazed by stuff. And so it takes a lot to actually get me creeped out, you know, in, in my age and experience in this now. But uh, the, <laughs> Eugene, I know we've talked about it. The scene where uh, the, the old lady. Uh, when she goes back to her old house, and then the old lady is in the house, that old oh, lady yeah. is absolutely fucking terrifying. You know, uh, chasing uh, the the taking of Deborah Logan. Okay, that's a scary one too. Might be pretty good. And and let me know if you've seen the taking of Deborah Logan. Yeah, there's there's a couple we can throw out there. Definitely. All right, all right. Cool. All right. Yeah. Let us know. Uh, for the audio listeners, shoot us an email at weekendhorrorgmail.com. Let us know your favorite American remake. Um, we're talking about Asian films in particular here, but shoot us your favorite remakes if you've got any, because it seems like we've got some people that just don't like remakes in the chat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. All right. Eugene, take us to – I was going to try to come up with some phone number pun there, but it didn't work out. <laughs> the next movie. <laughs> Take it to the next one. All right. So for the next one, we have nine seven six evil released. Yeah, <laughs> just came up with one. <laughs> I'm sorry. The title of this one always gets me. It's just kind of like seven. it's like. What's it? What? Oh, yo! What, what, what's it gonna be? It's, it's gonna be like a hotline to the devil. It's like ah, oh, maybe it's a pay. Maybe it's like a pay line. You know, nine seven six. <laughs> Evil. You imagine the. You imagine the studio meeting on this. Be like nine seven six devil. Nine seven six. Darkness. Nine seven. No. What about what about just evil? Guys, evil. If you vote on evil, evil's good. That's fucking lunch. <laughs> nine seven six. We need four letters. Um, nine seven six. Fuck. We can't use that in the title, man. Charlie. Charlie Wilde says I tried to watch nine seven six. Couldn't do it. <laughs> I honestly, when when I started rewatching this, because I was like, I don't think I've ever seen this movie. I saw the first thirty seconds of it. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, I remember. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. That's uh. Um... But for those of you, uh, this was actually directed by Robert Englund. Mm-hmm. This was one of only two films I believe he's directed. And uh, oh, don't worry, actually... don't worry about the second one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's... It, I love Robert Englund. Um, he's probably he him himself probably is not a fan of directing. Directing is a lot of work. Mm-hmm. He don't it. say. He's and, <laughs> for those out there, he's probably like you know, no, I'm not. I'm good. But directed by Robert England, and it stars uh, Stefan Joffrey, Jim Metzler. Metzler? There you go. Okay, okay. And Maria Rubel. Mm-hmm. And basically, in a nutshell, you call a phone number 976-EVIL, and it connects you with Satan. 
Yep. I don't even think you could even use this concept anymore because back then people had land phones and you would call you would come through your telephone. And so calling numbers like that is fine. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's wild. It's wild because it's, yeah, obviously it, it, this is this was before um, mm-hmm. you know, we had to put area codes into phone numbers so you could just right. dial seven numbers and you were good to go. But 976 was the precursor before 900 numbers. So you know, you, if you dialed nine seven six, this we dial for typically premium pay lines. Is we so this was a riff on that, and I'm telling you. <laughs> okay, okay, this movie. Okay, regardless of what some people think, um, I think that this movie is an underrated gem. It really is because you had this was 1989. You got uh, Robert England riding high, you know, effectively as Freddy Krueger. He's a horror icon who's pretty much you know cemented in in the in horror history. So he's gonna try his hand at directing. And he directed this one. He's got a, 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 I thought a great cast to work with, good character actors, and, a, and kind of a silly horror premise. But it, it, it all of this put together really works because honestly, this was a horror movie made for horror fans. Like this is the reason that we go that like really diehard horror fans go and watch horror films. It, I would not ever say that this film was mainstream. And but there was this movie wasn't trying to capitalize on anything either. This wasn't a cash grab. This was a script written, you know, co-written by Brian Helgeland. This is the guy who wrote like L.A. Confidential and several and has won like uh, Oscars for his writing. And directed by Robert Englund, you know, Freddy Krueger himself, you know, with a with a great cast and a re- and really decent, you know, I would say somewhat decent for the time, 1989 special effects. And I like the story. Because it was the quintessential, you know, kind of revenge story where the, the the bullied kid finds a way to get, you know, pretty much gets power and starts setting people up because anybody who calls the, calls the hotline, um, you know, because I think it gives out like really, really goofy, like kind of like fortune cookie shit. Only <laughs> it allows the devil to start kind of like taking your soul. Yeah. And so it basically you know, ends up taking people to hell. Well, you know, the main character figures out uh, this, uh, was it hoax? Figures out that, oh, I can get all the people that were mean to me to call this line and be like, boom, you know, and take care of, you know, uh, get rid of all these motherfuckers. And, but unfortunately, then begins to twist him and, you know, you know, I don't want to spoil the ending for anybody who hasn't seen it. And Tina Jones, yeah, Killer Pad was no good. (laughs) That was the second film that Robert Englund directed. That was just not great. (laughs) Um, And you can even tell it from a directorial standpoint. See, that was the great thing about this. Like I said, a horror movie for horror fans. Because you could feel the energy that, that, that was in this. When, when the director is invested and the director you know, wants to put his vision in there and wants to really capture something, you can tell. When the directing is lazy and they're not invested and they're just you know, there like, keeping the seat warm, saying action, saying cut, you know, check the gate, blah, blah, blah. When they do that shit, you can tell. It's just, it feels very, very lazy. 976 Evil had none of that. It was energetic. You could feel it almost, it almost like... Robert Englund took the Freddy energy and put it into this, you know, goofy, <laughs> frenetic, yeah. you know, and all the elements that you look for. And I, we, I, for one, really can enjoyed just take it. A second, can we take a second and talk about Robert <laughs> Englund's experience directing this film, though? Because he goes into this. This is his directorial debut. Mm-hmm. He's like, all right, I'm going to direct this movie. 
Um, and then meets Nancy Booth, who was the, the set director, uh, who he ended up marrying. So he meets his wife while filming. Oh, that's badass. It's on set, meets the set director, that. was like, hot piece, I'm going to hit that. <laughs> and then, um, then marry, you know. This is a hot marriage. piece. You're a hot piece. Let's do this. <laughs> it was, there was an issue. Robert England said that the cats on scene would always follow directions, but he got extremely frustrated because the spiders that they used in the movie would not cooperate. So he's... <laughs> He comes into this movie, he gets on set, he meets this girl, falls in love, gets frustrated with spiders, loves the cat. <laughs> That's fucking amazing. Oh no, it's great. And then there's like and then they start putting stuff in there to be all cutesy. Uh in the bathroom, there's some graffiti and it's R and N and it's for Robert, uh Nancy, because they're falling in love and it's all Sweet. cutesy. So hell yeah, there was some good energy in this. He was having a great fucking time. <laughs> Uh, you can see it though for sure but uh yeah there was there was a lot of cool stuff about how how the actual how his life took kind of a turn from this point but then you know he came out that second movie we don't talk about and that was over and that that was it he's like no i'd rather i'd rather act let's see the like the one thing like jl talks about how this is a horror film for horror fans Mm -hmm. and that's fine but when movies tend to do that a lot of them don't age well because it's like it's horror fans for that era. And as horror continues to change and new fans are coming in and they're doing watching other films, a lot of times going back, it's a, eh, because the best horror films are for anybody, not just fans. True. Yeah. Absolutely. And I really, really dug this one. I can relate to it. Maybe I can relate to it a little bit more because because I was bullied in school and you know, everyone who's ever just, you know, gotten the shit kicked out of them by assholes on a daily basis, I think, identifies with that. And it's kind of like, you know, I wish you, you could have some power to just kind of make it all end and make it all stop and like that. And I think that uh, the lead actor, um, I thought he was a perfect choice. Uh, perfect, you know, just, you know, just physically. That's what, that's what he embodies. Not to mention when you when you put him alongside, um, who is it? Uh, was it uh, fucking, damn it, twist all around. I, uh, the uh, the actor who plays his best friend. Oh, you're talking about Jim. Uh... Yeah, Jim Messler. Yeah. So Jim you you compare the two of them, it's night and fucking day. Yeah. Oh, oh, definitely. So I thought it just it had all the elements of a solid horror film. Uh, you know that I think was just a lot of fun. It probably lo- and it looked like a lot of fun to make, especially uh, Steven. Steven always looks like he has a, he has a blast when he's on set. I enjoyed it. It's a good little cult, a little cult, little film, and definitely worth the time. No, definitely. If you've got a couple hours to kill, it's, it's a fun movie for sure. I don't want yeah, to. I, I don't want to spoil. I don't want to spoil what happens because I mean, I did. I honestly, I mean, some people would say like a film like this is predictable. I didn't find it predictable. I didn't see that coming because the setup. You know, uh, you've got the relationship between um, Hoax and his best friend, oh, yeah. and then the relationship with Hoax and everybody else. And then as what is happening to Hoax is happening to him, his best friend is fighting like hell for him. And I just, you know, and then when you know, when the, the, the revenge rift starts playing out, I, I didn't expect what was going to go down. And I thought it was pretty cool. So if you haven't seen it, and I don't want to spoil it, definitely go check it out. It's worth a watch. I mean, in my opinion. It's definitely worth a watch. No, it, it definitely is worth a watch. Yeah. And Dark Steve it says, is. JL's sitting on a pee. I'm not sitting on a pee. I... 
I was laughing and I leaned back in my chair and I, I fear I broke my chair. <laughs> <laughs> We're only halfway through the podcast. You got I know. Go. And I, I, it, it's, it's going way too far back now. I, I think I fucked the chair up. <laughs> Um, I did because I was going back and then it went boom. And I, it, it, I saw so I thought I saw somebody laugh. I think it was Grave Paradise because I linked I leaned back and I, my chair went put and I was like, oh shit, I almost fell. <laughs> and so I think I fucked my chair up. And everybody's laughing about it. But definitely put it on the list, Grave Paradise. I think that you really, really like it. It's it is yeah. worth checking out. Um it's quintessential 80s horror. And it did get a sequel. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I, was, that's what, I was looking at the notes. I was like, there was, I have not seen the sequel. Yes, it did get a sequel. And the sequel was, was I think, was kind of standalone. Like, you don't have to watch the first one to, to watch the second one. As a matter of fact, if I remember correctly, they just threw 976 nine, Evil on it just for attention. It was kind of, you know, yeah, exactly. Kind of like Troll 2. Yeah. So, and although this one, although this sequel is not nearly as bad as Troll 2. <laughs> um, but yeah, they pretty much threw Nine sure? Genesis Evil 2 on it. Yeah, I, yes, I'm sure. It, nothing is as bad. Well, is there anything worse than Troll 2? Shit, that, I don't that, think so. that could be another podcast. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> it's, it's up there. I mean, whoever thought popcorn was erotic? <laughs> like, yeah. what, what the fuck? <laughs> Oh, thank you, Tina Jones. Tina Jones has a spare chair. She's given it to me in the chat. It's very small. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but definitely. Uh, but certainly, um, I don't think you need to watch the sequel. Uh, I mean, if you want to, you can say that you saw both of them. But it's not really a 976 evil movie. It's not it kind of just riffs on it and steals the title. It's one of those situations where they have a script. They're trying to get it made. They need to get rid of it, try to make some money off of it. So they just tweak the script a little bit. They bring in somebody, tweak it a little bit, try to link it thematically to the first film, change the title uh, to 976 Evil 2, and then they just drop that and try to recoup a, a bit of money from the box office. And they, you know, then they threw in the, uh, the Miss America finalist as the uh... – Lead character. Yeah. I was just reading up on it. Like you just, just, just like throw something chat. in there. Yeah, just throw something in there. Just kind of, yep, yeah. there it goes, and you're done. Yep, there it is. There's a twist. All right. Yep, that's it. But so, actually, for those of you who've seen the first one and the sequel, which one did you prefer, the original or the sequel? So let us know in the comments below. Uh, for those listening on Spotify, Google Play, the other podcast formats out there, shoot us an email at weekendhorror at gmail.com. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Yes. Yes. We need more emails. Yes, we do. Definitely. All right. So staying in the 80s, JL, what do we got next? Oh, we're going, we're going all the way back. 1981. I was one years old. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> so Jesus. you you turn my away. mom was eleven. <laughs> <laughs> now I feel really fucking old. <laughs> so, yes, going back to 1980, we're going 1981. March 27th, 1981, we had Eyes of a Stranger. Ooh, an American slasher film. Directed by Ken Wiederhorn and written by Mark Jackson. Starring Lauren Tews, John DeSanti, and Jennifer Jason Leigh in her first, first film, her first film appearance. But in essence, the film is about a serial killer who calls his victims and taunts them, you know, 
scary messages before he tracks them down and brutally fucking murders them. And I'm talking <laughs> hardcore. <laughs> uh, an enjoyable little film. And when I say, uh, you know, because, you know, when I say hardcore, definitely check and see if you can find the unrated edition of the unrated version of this that has the restored footage because Tom Savini was in charge of the effects of this movie. And as usual, <laughs> as for the time, because this is not the early 1980s, Tom Savini's work was a little too much for some people. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people. <laughs> that was, I, I was reading through some of the, the complaints was it was too much. It was definitely uh, – I fucking – anybody that knows anything by Tom Savini knows that it's going to be just a brutal fucking blood – I mean fucking machete. Like just – uh dawn of the dead from dusk dawn like anything that he's been in is just absolutely brutal blood guts make you want to puke shit i was just thinking of machete kills i gotta watch that movie again Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> my head is in another place <laughs> my head is so i'm so out there right now that um uh somebody said something about leprechaun in the chat uh should have done leprechaun tonight and uh I, when you started describing this movie, I was in my head. You're like, the serial killer calls and leaves creepy messages. I'm like, I don't remember that being in Leprechaun. I was like, oh, wait a second. We're talking about <laughs> I was something completely different. <laughs> I know. Sorry. It's been a long freaking week, guys. But uh, yeah, no. it's I had never seen this before. I didn't even know this was a movie until we started talking about it. I went and watched it. And I was like, oh, that's what he was talking about when he was saying too much. Okay. Yes. That was the whole big thing, is because this was 1981, so I think over in England they were being pretty much harassed by the video nasties era. So repressed, yes. Yeah, you know, like the uh, uh, I know that um, I know PC Tony is very, very familiar with it. He's spoken at length about it in the past. Uh, we when we've chatted about it on other shows, but yeah, the video nasty panic resulted in a lot of things being censored, being pulled by the state, and being shut down here in America. We had kind of the same effect. Where you know some films were delayed or some films were heavily, heavily edited in order to avoid the dreaded triple X rating at the time because NC seventeen didn't exist. So if you got that tri- if you got that triple X rating, it wasn't just for adult films; it was for films that were just too violent or too extreme in some way, and that would basically shut you down. You could only get like underground theaters to show them because no movie house would ever right. pick them up. So well, even in this one, they had to tone it down. Like the the murders in the film had to be toned down yes. just to get the R rating, just to be able to put it out there. Which was it, that's incredible. And you know, you mix in stuff like sexual assault and stuff like 1981. Yeah, I'm surprised this movie even came out then. It was yeah, brutal. This, yeah, and this is when you start going into kind of editing you have an idea of what you actually really want and it's like okay well graphic kills i want it to be shocking but there's always this line and the line really depends on what's going on society wise because it's like you want to push the envelope but if you push it too far then your piece of art can't be shown anywhere because if you get a triple x rating you're not going to make money back you're not enough theaters won't even show your film, even if it's really good. It has a steady cult following. It doesn't get seen anymore. So it's like you you push the envelope, but if you go too far, you it won't be seen. So they actually had to scale some of it back to just get that R rating. R rating is fine. Horror movies, R rating, we love it. That's perfectly fine. Even NC seventeen films, it's almost like a death sentence. That's why you 
only a of them come out. Yeah. It was oh, a big, then, that was a big thing. Yeah, Savini, I thought, you know, was pretty much, you know, king was king of the horror effects in the eighties. And we've talked about him before on the podcast. And you know, for those who for those who are not familiar, I mean, you're familiar, not familiar with uh, Savini's background. Savini was a Vietnam veteran and took a lot of what he saw over there during that conflict, and it inspired him in his in his makeup, which is why it is so extreme. You have, uh, I think, one of his most extreme moments was in Maniac. In which you know uh, the uh, you know Frank jumps up on the car and sticks a shotgun you know right there at the driver and the driver was you know Tom Savini because Tom Savini was working as a makeup effects artist and he, so he happened to be there and they needed a fake head to explode you know to blow up because you know the killer was you know jump up on the car and stick the shotgun right there in front of the windshield <laughs> pulled the trigger and then the head was going to explode well the only fake head that Savini had on hand was one of himself. <laughs> so he's like, fuck. So he actually scored himself a role in the film as the girl's boyfriend to you know to take the shot. So then, and it was so, it was so extreme that I I heard the rumor was that s- several people threw up when they saw it because you know <laughs> he jumps up at there. It's like holy shit. There's that brief moment that he pulls the trigger, windshield goes away, and then the head just splits apart like a fucking melon. The girl gets gets splattered all over the place. It's just it's great. fucking crazy. You know, <laughs> Maniac, the, the first Maniac was fucking crazy. It was fantastic. And a little inside information when they did that, they didn't actually have the permit to use the gun because Savini was very much, if you're going to go for effect, especially a gunshot, you need to use a gun. So yeah. it wasn't fake. And then, you know, that was a that was a legit shotgun that he jumped up on the car with, that the actor jumped in the car with and pulled the trigger. So the actor jumps up, pulls the trigger on the shotgun, blows the whole th- fucking thing away, and then quickly... They yell, cut, throw the shotgun to Tom Savini, who's off, you know, who's off camera. He grabs it, throws it in the trunk of a car that was timed to drive off with the shotgun and drive it away just in case the cops were called. <laughs> so they weren't fucking around on that one. That's and fucking guerrilla filmmaking <laughs> that, right there. Yeah. Yes. Well, we don't have a license to use it. Well, then we'll just hide the gun. <laughs> Shoot it. We'll run later. Shoot now. Ask questions later. You know, uh, fucking Lloyd Kaufman does that shit all the time. Uh, I can't remember what film it was in, but it was a trauma film where they did the same thing. No, like, uh, no permits, whatever. And it was, uh, they had to film in a major area and it had escalators. And the scene was a big fat guy who weighs like 400 pounds gets eaten by an escalator. Like, oh yeah, like that and just blood. And you, you you know, trauma style. That's, that's what it was, you know, trauma gross. But they had no permits to do this, so they had to time it to when it would be when the whole area was at its was at its like you know it, uh, the least amount of traffic, and they literally hid all of their equipment in the bathroom, and so they <laughs> waited, they timed it. The minute all the traffic died down, they ran in, grabbed all the equipment, ran out, shot the whole scene in like fifteen minutes. <laughs> okay, no cleanup. They didn't clean it. They just shot it and then fucking ran. <laughs> Can you imagine the janitor coming up afterwards and his blood and guts everywhere? I couldn't even imagine with it because I mean, Calvin said we're shooting this, and everybody said the people behind him were like, "Tell me, we can't do this." You imagine you think about what's going into to have this giant, great, big, fat guy being eaten by an escalator, and you want—I mean, obviously, we need a working escalator, and we need to like you know lock it up. There's got to have blood and everything in a public space. We don't have any permits. He's like, "Do it anyway." It's like fuck it, <laughs> so they did it. <laughs> Fucking crazy. 
But that was, you know, and, and same with, with Tom Savini. Tom Savini was always so extreme. His effects were amazing. You, If you really, if you, I think the best example of his stuff was in his remake of Night of the Living Dead. I thought yeah, he brought some real uh, gruesomeness to that one. It was something that we didn't see in the Romero one. Because Romero was black and white. It was 1968. You kind of get an idea, but it's all in your head. With, with Savini... It's you know it's not in your head anymore because he's literally shot it out of your head, but it's it's all <laughs> over the fucking place. It's, it's all fucking, over the screen. It's fucking crazy. But that was oh, the whole yeah. thing. And at the time, the video nasty panic was going on. Everybody was freaking out that you know violent um these terrible violent films were going to like degrade society. Right. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. It, it's interesting the fact that I wonder with Tom Savini being a Vietnam veteran. If like the stuff he saw in Vietnam, first of all, it helps him recreate it because, hey, he the fact that he's like, you don't know what a head looks like being shot. Oh, it, fuck. You shoot it. Who knows? He's like, yep, yep. It looks, it has to look a certain way. This is what it looks like when a head explodes. How do you know? Trust me, I know. Oh, that's like, that's like uh, Christopher Lee on Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Okay. When he was destroyed, Alex, did you ever hear about that? Uh, I heard, yeah. Okay. Well, Christopher, yeah, Christopher Lee. For those, for those who may not be aware, like in the chat uh, or have not heard it, Christopher Lee was telling Peter Jackson how to react when stabbing someone in the back. Yeah. Because in the because in the script, uh, Saruman gets stabbed in the back, and and then you know, and then uh, Peter, you know, the script says you know Saruman gets stabbed, and Saruman screams, ah. You know, it's like, no, it's like, Peter, that wouldn't work. He's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, when you get stabbed in the back, you gasp. So it'd be like, <gasps> and it'd be a quick gasp. There's escaping out of your lungs. Okay, but <gasps> like this. And that's what that's basically what happens when you get stabbed in the back. And then Peter was like, uh, Chris, how do you know that? And he then Peter Jackson said, Christopher then told me a story he probably shouldn't have told me. So because if anybody's familiar, and I invite anybody to go look it up, look up Christopher Lee's, Lee's background in World War II. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he so he was a member of the British SAS, which is equivalent to the U.S. Navy SEALs, Special <laughs> Forces. These are people who were commandos dropped behind enemy lines, and yeah, it, it doesn't get more hardcore than that. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so Christopher Lee saw some shit, and then well, he the saw some shit. Was full of shit like that too. <laughs> well, Christopher Lee saw some shit. And then he came over here and was one of the greatest Draculas ever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I fucking love him and Peter Cushing. I mean, right there. The, uh, there's few duos that really get it done like Cushing and Lee did, which is awesome. But yeah, man, uh, I love Savini for his work. And I think, Eugene, I think you're absolutely right. I think his experiences in Vietnam, it, it obviously, you know, in res- yeah, out of respect for all of uh, all of the veterans that are out there, he, I obviously, he saw some real heavy shit and he dealt with it. In the best way that he could, he got creative and gave us some of the most legendary effects that have ever come down the pipe. I fucking everything that Savini touches, I have loved. So I've never seen him like, oh, this this sucks ass. He's like, no, Savini shit is amazing. Yeah, yeah, he never half asses anything. Yeah. So yeah, unfortunately, on occasion, they gotta. I mean. Editing for acceptability was such a shame because, and I think Eugene, I think you can speak the best about this. You've done way, more, you've done a lot more directing than I have, but when you've got to cut stuff, 
either for time constraints or it, I think it's got to be even worse. I mean, I know I know cutting stuff for time is a is a pain in the ass. You shoot a great ass scene, it just happens to take a little bit long, and you know, but it's perfect, and you're like, shit, I have to like chop this thing up, you know, or you got to lose something for time constraints. That always sucks. But imagine like the sensor has come along. And be like, no, you you can't you can't show this. This this is incorrect. You know it plays to the story. You know it informs the audience of what's going on. The scene is fucking important, but no, you just can't do it. I can't even imagine dealing with that. Well, because how much work goes into it? You talk about we've been talking with Tom Savini, but when you got the production designer and the art director and the the director itself, these things are worked out. These things are okay. Well. He Tom Savini's creating the effects, and the director and the cinematographer. Are like, okay, well, how are we going to shoot it to make it the most convincing? And so, a lot of time and work goes into that. It's a whole team of people, and they put so much time and so much work, and they're building it, and they're getting they're really looking forward to it. And then it's like, okay, well, we spent uh, we spent three months on these five shots to add that extra gore that we're looking for, and now we just got to cut it. Yeah. No one will ever see it. And it's sad. Ah, but there's a there's a there's a sunny side to that. As NANA points out in the live chat, that's why I tend to love director's cuts. Fuck yes. It is director's cuts are they're at catch twenty-two because sometimes when you have to cut stuff for say censorship, or sometimes the studio is like, we need a certain runtime. So like Alien vs. Predator, he had to cut 20 minutes out of that film to hit a 90-minute runtime. Oh, director's cuts are better. Yeah, it, yeah. It feels stupid. And director's cuts are better. On the other hand, I've watched a lot of director's cuts where they're like, okay, well, we add the scene like in Gladiator. There's a couple uh scenes that were added, and I was like, I understand why the studio got it. I, I think like, yeah, it didn't I, really I, add anything. I think more Alex. What do you think? More often than not, more often than not, the director's cuts are, are better because we get more stuff. Like uh, the director's cut of Event Horizon, uh, there, there was a, there was a missing footage. It had, it had there's not a uh, there isn't a director's cut, but there is additional footage. And if that were put in, I think it would make it better. But more often, more often than not, it's better than it is worse. If you're if you're a cinephile and if you're really into the story, absolutely the director's cut would because if see you get it depends on the director. If you really like the director, you want to see more of what they had for that story. Um, absolutely. Uh, sometimes they're unnecessary, but yeah, most of the time they do actually do the film better than yeah. Well, and, then, and, yeah, because like you guys are talking about, it sucks that there's supposed to be things like even in Eyes of a Stranger, like there was a, a scene that I mean, it's probably good that they didn't put a rape scene in there, but, you know, they had to cut it out. And it was like, you know, not that I want to see that type of scene, but it was like a scene that was worked hard on. You know, that's that's an emotional scene for somebody to do. And then they just take it away. Yeah. Oh, and and they says, oh, come on. Alien vs. Predator should have been like 45 minutes. <laughs> so yeah. true. And but he also points out the abyss director's cut. Okay, yeah. Fuck yeah. yes. Yeah. It it always depends on what the reasoning is. Because if you look at the original cut the director wanted for Empire Strikes Back, terrible. <laughs> terrible. Were, Empire Strikes Back would not be the Star Wars film it was today if they did the director's cut. It would not, it would have been terrible. It, R2, D2, and C-3PO go on their own adventure on planet Hoth that no one cares about. <laughs> really? And the fact... Oh, yeah! Oh, that's if terrible. Go, <laughs> if you go to YouTube, so if you go to YouTube, there's actually a... You can find the footage 
And C-3PO and R2-D2 go on an adventure on the Hoth base. They do their own thing. And the creature that attacks Luke follows them to the base. <laughs> and so the creatures are at the base, too. And they go, they do, rah, kill like stormtroopers and stuff like that, too. So this is a whole other aspect that, like, you watching just like, no, that, that needed to go. Oh, that's way too much. <laughs> that's just way too much going on there. There's too hey. much. <laughs> Thaddeus Cost has joined us in the live chat. Good to see you. And yes, the director's cut of the abyss was freaking amazing. Yeah, Absolutely sweet. Been there for a while. But yeah, <laughs> that's the. Uh, I dig it, and I hope one day one film I can say, uh, the uh, Knights of Badassdom. I hope one day we get a director's cut of that because. The studio, E E entered or was it E One Entertainment? They fucked with that movie so badly. I hope we get a legitimate. Um, I think it was Joe Lynch is who, or, uh, yeah, Joe Lynch who directed that. I hope we get a legitimate director's cut of that film because Kurt Russell apparently screened it before it ever came out and said that it was absolutely amazing. It was it was knocked down funny and had the the uh, the horror and it was fantastic. It was a it was a beautiful blend. And I know Lynch was super, super proud of it. And then E1 bought it and they hacked it up until, you know, the lowest, you know, to serve the lowest common denominator and they just put it out. It was such a damn shame. But yeah, director's cuts. You usually add a bit. And... What? That's such a random movie to bring up. Nights of, Bad- Nights of Badass Tim was a horror film. Okay. It was it's a bad, horror film. It, it, it just sounded like it came out of nowhere. No, no, it, it's it's great. And you're right. I hope one day we do get a director cut. That's a director's cut I really do want to see. Yes. It just, it was just funny because it came out of nowhere. Lord Peter Dinklage. Yes, no, it was just a random one. Like, <laughs> it was a random movie to bring up. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, uh, that's why. I mean, I I typically dig the director's cuts a little bit more. But that uh, actually brings up we talked a lot about Savini and his history here. So I'm really, really curious. I do want to ask the audience, ask the live chat, and of course, um, let us know the answer to this down in the comments below or hit us up at weekendhorror at gmail.com. What is your favorite Tom Savini film? Not ones that he's directed, but one even ones that he's directed, but uh, ones that he's worked on. His effects are prolific. And they have a style to them that I think is in the horror genre is pretty unmatched. There's there's good ones out there. I mean, Rob Otten, you know, is fantastic. And, you know, but and there's other, but they worked in other genres as well. Tom Savini is pretty much horror and all things related. So let us know what is your favorite Tom Savini horror film? The best effects you've seen of his. Let us know in the live chat in the comments below. Hit us up weekendhorror at gmail.com. Does it have to be horror? I mean, people could like Zach and Miriam make a porno, you know. <laughs> Ever see somebody get shit on? Yeah, Zach and Miriam make a porno. <laughs> you know he was you know he was in that, right? Yeah, I know. But every time anybody mentions that movie, I just picture just where he's him with the camera facing up. He's like, okay, be careful, guys. I'm down here. <laughs> she, she says something along the lines. Do you see this of, shit? Uh, Do you see this shit? For a week. Do you see this shit? That bitch just frosted me like a fucking cake. <laughs> uh, yeah. Don't ever say shit covered to me again. <laughs> that was so fucked up. That was fucked up. Man. Anywho. Uh, Alex, we've got one more. Uh, no, we're, we're just going to talk about Zach and Mary McPorn now. No, we're not. No, we're not. <laughs> That's on weekend comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, let's kick this last one off. Um, we've got The Haunting in Connecticut. 
uh, March 27, 2009. Uh, this one was directed by Peter Cornwell, written by Adam Simon, uh, Tim Metcalf, uh, Virginia Madison, Kyle Gallner, Elias Cotiers, Amanda Crew, Martin Donovan, Sophie Knight, um, uh, Eric Berg. A couple more uh, no names in this one, too. Uh, this movie, your, your typical haunting movie, a family relocates to Connecticut. Uh, their son is sick. Um and then some ghost shit starts happening in the house. Uh, the, the cool thing about this one, though, is there was it's one of those ones where it's like based on a true story. The one thing that really bothered the shit out of me was they didn't, I, I guess, probably because of legal reasons. But they kept, you know, it's the Campbell family in the movie um, when the real story follows the, uh, the I can't ever pronounce the last name, Snedecker, Snedecker family. I think it's uh, Snedecker family, right? Snedecker. I think that's what it, yeah. I always say it wrong. I know it's Carmen and Al. Snedeker. But uh yeah, follows follows the, the family's adventure through the paranormal activity that happens in their house. And then shit gets real. And shit gets real. That's Eugene's line. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was it's a pretty good movie. I yeah, I was I was okay, one thing that struck me with this one, and I have to say it's free on YouTube right now. Oh, is it really? <laughs> that doesn't detract from the quality of the the, the, the film is decent and it's got That's some it's got nice. some creepy little moments in it. A thing that stood out to me was okay. This, effectively, this is a haunted house film. Okay, yeah. you know, family moves in, ghost in the house, haunted house. You know, just particularly you know. And then I started looking at it compared to like you know the Amityville horror, right? Um, and I think we talked about a previous one, uh, another one, um, burning. Alex, you reminded me um, the house that feeds on the people that live in it had Karen Did Black I? in it. Uh, nope. I don't think we talked about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you reminded me of the of the yeah. title. It was burning something. Burning. Uh, I know you know this. Okay, he's gonna make yeah. He's gonna make me look it up because now it's gonna. No, I'm, I'm already looking it up because it's bothering me. I have no idea what we talked about. The burning. No, that's not it. Uh, awkward silence. Oh, burnt offerings! Burnt offerings! Burnt offerings. Yeah, 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 burnt yeah, yeah, offerings. Holy yeah. shit! So very similar to like you know, burnt. I now started thinking about movies like Burnt Offerings and uh, the Amityville Horror, and going all the way back to the House on Haunted Hill, yeah, um, like the original Vincent Price one. So I'm sitting here no, thinking of it. Um, the the you know the modern horror film or the modern haunted house horror film is it pretty much been a chain of one-upmanship ever since you know the ever you know going back as far as the 1930s. And each one tries to pretty much catapult off of the next one and just try to add a little bit more. And that's kind of the sensation that I got from The Haunting in Connecticut. Yeah. Well, well yeah, because you always got to up as technology changes, as what scares people changes, you always got to push that. Like one of my favorite films growing up was The Haunting. Uh, it's like 1950s, 60s, something like black and white, where it had like the walls breathing and some like blood coming down. And it was great for its time period, and it scared the shit out of a lot of people. But you take that today, no one's even scared of that. Yeah. And so it reminds me of a meme that I saw that was like, uh, "Why are why are ghosts always like old Victorian women in white dresses?" You know, it's twenty twenty one. Why don't we have ghosts walking around screaming, "It's Britney, bitch!" 
<laughs> and it's like shit. I guess yeah. Nobody's done like a modern day haunting. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, so, as of recently, we've had some we've had some decent ones on Netflix. You know, the Haunting of Hill House and the Haunting of Bly Manor. Those were both excellent. Yes. Yes. You're, you're absolutely. But right. yeah, I mean, but like I said, it's also still one-upmanship because you know the Haunting of Hill House played with the, uh, was was is excellent cinematography, not to mention terrific acting. But the way it was shot, in the manner that it was shot made it stand out like that. And then the haunting of blind manor was how it played with time and perception mm-hmm. because you didn't know what you were perceiving was the perception of the ghosts. So it played the, the way. And that, that is cool. Just I one just started story. that. Thanks for fucking that up for me. <laughs> I didn't fucking do Spoiler. shit. I didn't spoil anything in that fucking movie. I didn't. Uh, I had no idea. I literally just started watching it. I didn't spoil shit. <laughs> okay. Cause I didn't tell you, I didn't tell you who or which one. Uh, nonetheless, <laughs> that's what I got. That's what I got off of watching a haunting in Connecticut. And this isn't even the it isn't even the most recent one. I mean, hell, this was two thousand eight, no, two thousand nine. So oh, this is yeah, literally over ten years ago. We still and, and if you look at the ones that have come out after, it's you know it's like haunting of like haunting of uh, Hill House, haunting of Blind Manor. That that it's still kind of one upping itself. Just try just trying to ramp up what you get the uh, what you get in the haunted house. There's well, got to be – oh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I mean because that's, that's what you have to do. If you look at, say, Amityville, you say the original Amityville versus the one Ryan Reynolds in it. Yes. Right? Both of them were considered scary time period. But as what scares people changes, filmmaking techniques changes, and everything like that, that genre has to adapt to it. So that's why, like, cinematography is really strong in horror films right now, whereas in a lot of horror films in the past, there are some ones that are shot great. A lot of horror films in the past, cinematography and lighting actually take kind of a back seat. It'll focus more on, say, the gore, um, the villain, the practical effects, and everything like that. And then you just kind of do, like, a basic standard lighting. And now it's like, no, we want cinematic camera movements. We right. want moonlight. Yeah, see yeah. that, and it's like you can look at like the early two thousands, kind of into the nineties, and it's like the the movement of the people, and you go back a little farther, and it's the gore a little farther. Then you're talking practical effects, and then even like farther into black and white, where they didn't have any like you know color schemes or lighting or anything to work with. It was just focused solely on on different aspects of the film. I, that's a good way to look at. It. I've never kind of thought about that, but each time period has its own way of doing it. And as we get more into like CGI and, you know, we can fuck around with more than just ripping people's arms off. Now we can rip people's arms off cinematically. Cinematically. No, you're talking, you know, talking about, and, and taking more risks, taking bigger risks of what you do. Cause I mean, that's how you push the genre itself. Um, the haunting of Hill house had one of the most amazing scenes I've ever seen. And that was when uh, the family's all gathered in the funeral home. Oh my and God. And <laughs> I didn't, it, it, I had to watch it a second time because I had to actually watch it multiple times because that whole scene was one take. Yeah. And yeah, we've, talked, we've talked about that before. Exactly. It was, it was just the timing of everything that was going on in the background that you was like, that you didn't, that you don't really catch or you only glimpse. It was brilliantly done. But this is where it goes. I'm hoping that there's not a kind of breaking point because eventually you're going to get out of the haunted house. You know the haunted house genre, and you're going to wind up becoming a slasher. You're going to wind up becoming a possession horror. You're going to wind up becoming something else. Like, what more could they possibly add to the haunted house uh, genre? Like the 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 the, the haunted house horror? Because uh, right now, now we're also seeing a ramping up of the acting, having really strong, driven character um, stories. 
where we really invest in these people. And of course, the horrible shit happens to them. So it's an ever evolving and ever expanding one. I think as you followed along throughout history, really adapts and evolves as the time. And I think you can see the changes in society reflected the most in this because, you know, the home is your castle. The home is your safe place. And what's scarier than your home being out of control or something being in your home that you don't want there, some invader or, or invading force like poltergeist, you know, something's in your house that is terrifying you and, but it's your home. So what are you going to do? You know, leave. Most people, the most people don't want to fucking leave. And you know, when shit starts carving shit into your body, this is fucking true. This is true. You just leave. Go anywhere else. The housing market was great back then. Just fucking leave. And uh, you know, while the majority of oh, Eugene, is that a crib in your background? <laughs> oh yeah, it's a crib back there. Don't worry about that. <laughs> don't worry about that. Is that even your house? Whose house are you haunting right now? Who's who is in those pictures? <laughs> but yeah, more questions you ask, the more you don't want to know. So just 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 ignore it. But I think you can really see the evolution of horror the best through the haunted house uh, horror film. Is that you know, as we've always said, you know, horror being a reflection of society and all, and. As society has changed, horror has also adapted to to reflect that. I think you see it the best in the haunted house story because the, I think the haunted house story is one of the pivotal areas of horror, the pivotal parts of horror that really rings true for people. I mean, think of movies like The Entity, where the uh, the lead, where our lead character is being attacked in her home by a spirit. Yeah, you know, yeah. and I I, de- I mean I I found a new kind of appreciation for it looking back at the in the scope of the entire history of the haunted house horror but there was a something that concerned me about this film and it didn't really have to do anything with the film itself and we're going to go a little bit real world here um because after watching it something was really really bugging me and it was it was pretty much the the warrens um ed and lorraine warren demonologist exorcists uh paranormal investigators they should put that on their business card I think they did before they passed away, (laughs) but, and I don't want to speak, I'm not going to speak ill of the dead, but so Hollywood has a fan, has a fascination with adapting stories. Okay. When the rights to the Warren's investigative files were sold, Hollywood can start making movies up. So that's why we have the conjuring universe and so on and so forth. Um, the areas that, Ed and Lorraine Warren worked in were very, very, were highly controversial. They did not work for the church. They engaged in this stuff independently. So it already is controversial. Then you think, consider the families that were involved in this. Okay. You consider the families that were involved in these particular stories, whether or not the events that took place were true. These are families who've been through a lot of trauma, who've dealt with stuff that probably doesn't need to be plastered all over the place. Then they, the rights to these investigative stories are sold. And then Hollywood adapts these stories, and then the frenzy begins all over again. And I was curious as to what your guys' thoughts were on the ethical considerations of adapting this level of controversy. Though the names may be changed, though the place may be slightly adjusted, okay, these are real families' lives that this thing, that this stuff was based on. And then Hollywood's making movies off of this that are, you know, like that are doing very well at the box office. It's going to attract attention. It's just like the Amityville horror. What, whatever went down in that house, we, you know, we don't know. I don't think it was anything supernatural that went down in that house, but whatever went down in that house, 
Whoever owns that house now is permanently owning a fixture in horror because of the film series, because of the ongoing film franchise. We're about to get another Amityville, you know, I think Amity in, I don't even know, I, so many fucking subtitles, I have no idea which one it is now. But we're about to get another Amityville horror film coming up, and <laughs> imagine owning that house and constantly being bombarded with people looking for signs of spirits or looking for this or knocking on the door or, or prowling around the property for whatever reason, looking for a memento. I can't, I, I think, I don't know how many times the high hope sign has been stolen from the, from 112 Ocean Avenue. So these people's yeah. lives are being, inv- kind of being invaded again. Is there an ethical consideration to this? That, it's a really, it's a really hard question. And I, I like, I like to think about, I was, watching the interview I'll, I'll transition to music real quick i watch an interview with like some like well-known artists that are talking about artists that commit suicide and we listen to say rock songs and we enjoy them and stuff like that but when you get a lot of these you get a lot of these artists that say a girl broke their heart or whoever their their mom passed away unexpectedly or some kind of loss, grief, pain, or something like that. So for their outlet, they write a song. That song becomes a hit. Now it's played everywhere. You have to record a music video for it. Whenever you play live, you have to play a song again and again and again and again. And to us, it's a piece of art that we enjoy, but to that artist, it makes it really hard to get over what was that song connected to? Because you can never escape it. And so going back to the people, these people that their lives are based off of, it could be because it keeps coming back and coming back and coming back. I, re- I realize that art requires sacrifice mm-hmm. always. But what's really hard about the situation is sometimes these people aren't prepared to make that sacrifice. A lot of are, whereas here, maybe not. Maybe if you buy the house already that it's going to be famous, or you like to collect properties or mementos or something like that, this may be something you may actually enjoy. But if you're just a regular owner and something happens, shit happens, they make a movie, and you're just staying in the house because you just happen to like the house, and then you have that unwanted pressure, where's where's that line where maybe the sacrifice is not worth the art? It's true. PSG Tony says, the owners of the house have said publicly that all the... Uh, I think he says fittings there are original. The, the claimed events in the film have no factual basis. He also stated that, um, this was a quote, if Lorraine Warren told me the sky was blue, I would go outside and verify it. A quote from the author of the book uh, that was involved in this. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so there, there's there's problems there. It's problematic. Um, what do you think, uh, Alex? Did, did you think it, Someone actually brought it up. So it was like... Uh, for using their story, they sh- they could at least get something. Here's the problem, is that these people called Evan Lorraine Warren for help because of whatever they thought was or what they thought they thought was going on in their home. I don't want to speak to their particular experiences, but Evan Lorraine Warren did their investigations and they took all investigative material with them, and that was theirs, proprietary. And then the, they sold the rights to that, which means the families you uh, I don't think ever had any uh, initial say. And what was going here's, on? Here's so here's yeah, Alex. Was there an ethical? Was there an ethical uh, line that was crossed? Yes and no. Um, yes, NANA actually made a good point. Do your homework. Do you want the publicity attention? So, with people like Ed and Lorraine Warren, they're coming into your house. They've got recording equipment. They've got all sorts of stuff. I mean, if I was going to invite somebody like that into my house, 
I knew that they had done things like take stories and sell them before, write up a contract. I mean, it, it's really not that hard to get a legally binding contract signed. And if they really want, you know, if Ed and Lorraine are actually there to do paranormal investigating as a job, then they would have no problem signing a release form saying you can't sell my, my story. And that's, that, that's just something that's really easy to do. Um, on the other hand, they did just go in without thinking about the repercussions that it would have on the family. Uh, and they went ahead and sold it, but you're coming from two different sides there. You're, you're, you've got Ed and Lorraine who are going to do whatever the fuck they want because they're not being told not to, and they're making money off of it, which I mean, yeah, it makes you a shitty person, but you know, it's still, you, you're not doing anything legally wrong. So it, it it's the morals of the person doing it. Really, I have no say on what they do. It, it's stupid. I mean, it, if if you knew that they were going to be recording in your house, have them sign something saying that they can't sell. Um, but I, I don't think that the people that were portrayed in these films actually had any particular. There wasn't much in research about them not liking the attention. You know, there was a couple of cases that were a little over the line, but it, you know. Somebody gets paid for it, fine. You know, if they want to pay the homeowners, if they want to write up a contract and say, hey, if you sell our story, you know, we get a cut of the profits. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, I mean, there's so many lines there. You can't just be like, does it cross a moral line? Yeah, it crosses a few moral lines in many different directions. So the people involved should have covered their own asses. Also, Ed and Lorraine have never really been held accountable for theirs, so they're going to keep doing it, you know. So yeah, there's there's a lot going on there. Yeah, there morality is morality wise. It's just there's just so many. And Eugene made a good point with like artists making a movie or a, a song. You know, they they know that if they're gonna put music out there, they know if they're well known, and they know their song's good. They know what comes with that. They know what comes with putting out a good song. And so, you know, they made the choice to do what they did, and they have to, you know, reap what they sow. Yeah. Well, PhD Tony uh, mentions that the testimony of the author of the book "Haunting in Connecticut" is based on it is based on found everyone's story to be inconsistent and that the family was beset by drug and alcohol addiction. Um, and, and I found I found that in my own personal research that mental illness tends to affect these families a great deal. Um, but that, that being either here or there, so if there's if there is an ethical line being crossed by the Warrens selling their proprietary information. That they got from these investigations, twisting it, however, you know, changing it or twisting it to however they like, however they, you know, whatever, and then they sell it off just like they did with the, the story of Annabelle. Um, sell it off to some studio, then the studio makes the movie. So here you are, you're the director. Okay, you're the director of like The Conjuring, okay, or The Conjuring Two or whatever, or Annabelle, or you know, any of those deals, and what you're sitting on was based on actual events or somebody's actual report. Real people's lives are involved. Does that ethical line, does it go further? Does it go, I mean, obviously there was one that the Warrens crossed. Does the studio cross that line? Does the director cross that line? Do the, you know, do people involved in that? Or can we separate at this point, can we separate the art from the ethical matter that people's lives could be disrupted? That all comes from... <laughs> yes. That all comes from kind of like the, the studio decision because they're the ones that actually greenlit it and decided, yes, we're going to forward. I wouldn't necessarily put that on the director's because she's because the director was just hired to do a job. And okay. you know, okay. the director can have 
a million different ways to tell the tell on it, but it's, Hey, you're hired to do a job. You, you may, you, you're given a script and you may got there. I mean, yeah, I, that's the studios are the ones that have to deal with the ethics of that. Right. That makes sense. It's wild. I felt very, very weird uh, because this one, unlike, uh, like an, um, like an American haunting, which was based on a, a very, very old story. Uh, like the, it was based on the, it was just basically taken from the Bell Witch haunting uh, in Tennessee. Unlike things like that, uh, OZP Tony says, I think there should be an explicit declaration that the story is fictionalized. Absolutely. The based on true events or inspired by, I think inspired by true events is a little bit better. But we say based on actual events or based on true events, I think it is a bit misleading. And I think can draw people in. Like the real fanatics can draw people in to start looking into these things and trying to get the real information, like what really happened, which I think can set some people up, uh, which I, you know, did this exactly what happened with the Amityville house. And, and uh, we, the worst example of this was the movie Pain and Gain with Mark Wahlberg and uh, The Rock. Absolutely. And I agree with that. And uh, Great Paradise says they didn't even think about it and they don't care. Well, it's from the studio level, you know. Money's money. Yeah, that's when it's gone that far already. It's just money, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I found that interesting because that, yeah. a ha uh, haunting in Connecticut was a haunting in Connecticut was a bit more was a bit more recent. Well, I mean, it was decades ago, uh, but yeah, but it was a bit it, it was more recent in terms of a lot of uh, of legitimate events. And I was kind of like, wow, these people these people are still alive. Like the kids depicted in this they're still out there they're grown adults now and i'm wondering when this yeah. movie came out who came knocking on their door and imagining that whatever if i went through this level of trauma in my own personal life i would not want that and i would be pissed but you know hey you, you got to look at it from the other side of things too you know how many of these stories were you know by the people living in the house uh exaggerated in order to gain attention yeah. you know it, it stuff like that too kind of comes into it. So it's like you, you look at this and they did interviews and stuff afterwards. Um, you know, were they out there looking for attention? Cause you could be like, yeah, yeah. books are flying off the, the shelves and look at all these cuts and you know, the banging on the walls and okay, cool. Now we've got a story and now everybody's looking at them and they're just narcissistic and love it. But yeah. you know, you, it's, there's so many, like we said, there's so many lines. It, it, you're right. It may just depend on the, individual case because some people like that attention some, yeah, true. some people do and they want to do the interviews and they want people to show the house and they want to be known as oh well i stay in the amityville house whereas other people may not right well i'll tell you what either way and i, and I, I hope this doesn't make me sound like a hypocrite some of those movies were damn entertaining the, con <laughs> the conjuring was good conjuring 2 was good um I do happen. I, I happen to be a big fan of Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson. I like them both. Patrick Wilson was, you know, recently he was amazing in In the Tall Grass. I, I you know, love his work, and I love Vera Farmiga. You know, um, she she really kind of came to my attention in Orphan, um, but I love what she does. And of course, she was fantastic on Bates on Bates Motel or Bates Hotel. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's Bates Bates Hotel. Um, I don't know why I was thinking Motel. I don't know why that word. Are you sure it's head. not Motel? No, it's Bates Hotel. But um, I do enjoy the Are film. You are you yeah, talking about the show? Yeah, Bates Hotel. Bates Hotel. No, it's Bates Motel. I promise. Are you sure? Holy fuck! It is Bates Motel. Bates Motel. Yeah, yeah it's Bates I, Motel. I was like, dude, I watched the whole thing. Oh, I now you got me. 
Now you got me fucking Mandela effect. No, 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 no. Uh, I shouldn't be. I, I should. I, I need to stop second guessing myself because I was right the first time. <laughs> I was like, no, I think you're right, but you never know. The fucking universe is falling apart, atom by atom. <laughs> the Mandela effect. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, uh, several of them were good. Uh, there, there are some good ones, and they're, they're really, really enjoyable. I thought the first Annabelle was effectively creepy. The sequels are not, you know, un- kind of unnecessary. <laughs> uh, I don't know who the fuck would like a doll that looks like that. <laughs> it's out of, out of my fucking, yeah, it's like, what the fuck ever. Okay, um, what were the spoof movies that they did on the, the war movies? And the, uh, it was, I think it was Paranormal Activity, uh, Annabelle. No, well, well, Annabelle is a part of the Conjuring universe. What's up, homie? Uh, fucking, I can't remember. It was fucking hilarious, though. But it, it was like, it was the, the Paranormal Activity movies, and then Annabelle was in that one. I think The Conjuring made an appearance. But yeah, those, those are funny. Anyways, sorry. Side rant. Nope, I thought Eugene was gonna like come up with it. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I'm like picturing scenes in my head from it, and I cannot think of the name of it. Don't fuck <laughs> with me, homie. Anyways, um, the the Warren movies, yeah. So hey, let's let's ask the audience. What are your favorite uh, Warren movies? Like you talking about jail? You got the Amityville Horror, the um, the Haunted, no, Haunting Connecticut, Conjuring films. Annabelle was fucking creepy as hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, we just talked to somebody who was talking about having an Annabelle doll in the backseat of their car and forgot about it. <laughs> like, looked at it. <laughs> I don't know how you forget about that. Oh my god! Could you imagine like coming into a room and seeing an actual Annabelle? Doll? I'd be oh, like, "Fuck!" Don't, All right, so you, don't just, even be you fucking, just, don't even just be fucking move around. Out. Don't even be just fucking around. Out. Exactly. Yeah. You're done. No, no. I'm gonna <laughs> shoot it. I'm just gonna shoot it. Yeah, that doesn't really work out, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, let us know in the in the comments or email us. We can hoard gmail.com. The uh, end the rain Warren universe. They've got a couple. They've got a couple more coming out soon, don't they? Yeah, they do. I know. I know the nun is getting a sequel, despite the fact that the nun wasn't that great. I know the crooked man is coming out. That's right. Uh, they, yeah, they're expanding the universe pretty solidly. Let's see. Jessica yeah. G says the Conjuring. She loved both of them. Both of them were really good. I, I, really I still haven't them. seen two. I really like you know Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga so fantastic. They work very well together as the couple. Um, and PC Toasters has only watched The Conjuring. Uh, definitely check it out. Uh, Conjuring Two was solid. It really, really was. But let us know. Yes, in the light, let us know in the comments below or weekendhorror gmail So Eugene, I think it's time for the trivia question. True. We going to give something away. We are going to we are going to give something away. Is it a we, T-shirt? You make it sound like it's a bad thing. <laughs> I was just wondering. <laughs> we hadn't talked about it yet. Well, I, I was going to say it's your shirt, but then you said it. Now, like, now I was going to follow it up with Can I Play? Because I still haven't got a shirt. Well, then <laughs> fucking buy one. <laughs> no, the movie's good. All the money's going to the same place. I can't. I can't. Yeah. i got to spend my money on a new fucking camera because I haven't been getting shit for that all day. <laughs> 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 Oh, is it, what is it, Jessica? She says, I love all of the movies Tony shits on, but when he shits on a good movie, I just think back to how much I enjoyed King Schultz getting gunned down like a little bitch. <laughs> Fucking. <laughs> oh, Jessica G is savage as fuck. <laughs> PG Tony says, I don't have much patience for the idolization of the Warrens. I can see that. I really can. I, I, yeah, I think they're giving a, a little bit too much credit, uh, just my personal opinion. 
But nonetheless, we do have a trivia question coming up. And damn, uh, I'll tell you what. I was going to give away a t-shirt. Let's do a combination. Let's do a shirt and a coffee mug. Ooh. 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 Okay. Let's do do a limited edition number two shirt and a Week in Horror, official Week in Horror coffee mug. Because those things apparently are amazing. Um, Angela uses mine. (laughs) She's pretty much (laughs) the one that uses that one. She drinks more coffee than I do. But, uh, yeah, we'll give away a shirt. A shirt and a coffee mug. I like this idea. So, absolutely. So, Eugene, take it away. All right. The trivia question is, Jeff and Jeffries played Hoax in 976 Evil, but he was better known as Evil Ed in what classic 1985 horror film? So, to say that again, Stephen Jeffries Jeffries played Hoax in 976 Evil, but he was better known as Evil Ed in what classic? 1985 horror film and then put your answer in the chat below first person who gets it in the chat wins the prize a t-shirt limited edition number two t-shirt and a week in horror coffee mug oh yes what do you got what do you got what do you got first person in the live chat first person to get it i know peachy tony fucking knows this shit i know he does. oh boom ivy gentry yes ivy gentry <laughs> first guess he had to have known it right off the bat absolutely Holy That's, shit. Yeah, the correct answer is Fright Night. Fright Night. This is Fright Night. Evil Ed. Yes. <laughs> so, okay, <laughs> I got to know, Tony, did you know it? Did you know it was Fright Night? Let me know. I got to know. If Tony knew it, he just kind of held back. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure he's he not, knew it. I'm pretty sure he did, anymore. yeah. Tina Jones, yes, it was Fright Night. But congratulations, Ivy Gentry, for getting, for getting our trivia question correct. That's so awesome. hit us up at weekendhorror at gmail.com. Send us your shipping information, and we will get those sent out to you as quick as we can. Well, well done. Um, or you can hit us up on Discord. You can message me on Discord if you're a part of our Discord community. But uh, definitely check that out. That's going to be sweet. Oh, Jinju says he looked at the wrong movie. (laughs) (laughs) PhD Tony says he did not know that. Oh. (laughs) Oh, but Jessica G says Tony fucking knew it. He was too busy typing slow as shit as per usual. (laughs) (laughs) Click, 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 click. Oh, that's fucking sweet. You're very, very welcome. Uh, absolutely, Ivy. Just uh, go ahead and uh, send us your shipping details. We will get those out to you. And I hope you love the mug as much as everyone else has. So congratulations once again. And that will bring another episode of Week in Horror to a close. Thank you all so much for listening. And we truly hope that you enjoyed the show. Join us next week when we discuss the baby, feed, cat people, and the curse of El Charo. If you put those all together, it could be one title. The Baby Feed Cat People. People The the Curse of El (laughs) Charo. Yes. Oh, I'd watch that. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) I didn't even, it's not even intentional. Oh, man, we would like to send a special huge shout out to our incredible patrons who have helped us make the show the success that it has become. To Jeff Roberts, Dark Steve, Commander Darklight, Sarcasm, Crafty Kila, Anthony Purcell, Gavlar, The Hand of Zod, Mike Barrett, Jessica G, N.A., N.A., Kyrie, Alexis S., and Jose Alalde. We appreciate everything you've done to help us bring this show to life. We love you so much. We couldn't do it without you. 
Visit us at weekendhorror.net, where you can find links to all of our episodes, our bios, our merch store at Teespring. And of course, enter your email for a permanent entry to win a mystery horror shirt every single month, courtesy of $6shirts.com. We love them for helping us out with that. For more entertainment, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Followers get our daily splatter, a little bit of horror information right to your feed every single day. You never know what you may discover. We put lots of crazy films up there. We really hope you enjoyed this new live format. And we'd love to get your feedback. So subscribe to our channel and smash that bell like a fucking zombie head, just like Tom Savini wants you to, for all the latest from the show. And lastly, if you truly love what we do here and you would like to and are able to support our production, you can through our PayPal and our Patreon. We have patron tiers as low as $1 a month, less than a cup of coffee a month. And bonus and exclusive content for our higher tiers, like horror films, every single month that will ship directly to you. Links to all of this, including our Discord community, where you can find film recommendations, trailers, trivia games, and even interact with us directly, and watch movies with us that we will stream there in the theater, are all going to be below. We are streaming the new Wrong Turn tonight. Wrong Turn, the new one, will be in the theater after the show. So we hope to see you there. And we know that these are trying times. You know, things are only starting to get back to normal. And things are extremely tight. As always, simply liking and sharing this show to your local horror community or the friends that you know that love horror will be the best way to help us continue to grow. We appreciate each and every one of you for your continued listenership. We couldn't do it without your support. I am JL. I'm Alex. And I'm Eugene. And we will see you all next week. And as always... Stay scared.